Good morning, Bridge. How we doing, guys? Come on, smile for me. Come on. Doesn't it feel better? It sure looks better to me, that's all I got to say. It's so good to see you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm Jim. I'm the, the privilege of being the senior pastor of the Bridge and, and the privilege of visiting all of our locations from time to time. Pastor Ryan and Jessica are having a little personal time this weekend, and so as soon as he asked me about that, I said, can I go back to Goldsboro? I was actually the interim campus pastor here for about six months, and I love this place. This is home for me in so many ways. And so it's just good to be with you and thrilled to have a chance to be with you as we continue this series uh, that we're simply calling Niche, Finding Your Niche, Finding Life's Purpose. And as we work our way through what we call the niche profile, the different elements of our niche, we begin to understand more about why we're here, what God's purpose is in bringing us to this earth, and we find the fulfillment that comes from that as well as finding ourselves being used by God. So let's rehearse a little bit. For those of you that haven't been here, we'll introduce it to you. There are actually five elements in your niche profile. And as you look at these five elements, begin to understand more of them about yourself, you'll understand more about why God put you on the planet. So let's walk through them. It's on the screens. Here we go. The word niche is an acrostic. N stands for? Now let me explain something to you for those of you that don't know. The quieter you are, the longer I preach. And so if you if you want to beat the Baptist to the restaurant, you got to speak up, okay? All right, here we go. N stands for? Natural, natural abilities. Those are the things that, that you were either born with or you picked up naturally along the way, and, and, and you just do them well. The average person has between 500 and 800 natural abilities. Most of us would say, I'm not sure it's that many. But the reality is that we all have natural abilities we take for granted. I was talking to a lady in the first service who's hurt her thumb, and she said, I've never been aware of all the things my thumb did until I heard it. It was just some, so sometimes you don't know until you lose it how important it is and that you even have it. I stands for individuality or individual personality type. We talked last week, Pastor Ryan shared with you, that there are really only four personality types across the planet, and all of us are a mixture of those four types. We've given you a profile uh, way to look at that, but that helps to direct you toward God's purpose. Today, we're talking about charisma gifts, and by charisma, don't be scared of that word. It's just simply in the Greek, charis is the word uh, for grace. And so these are the gifts that God gives us. We didn't earn them. He gives them to us by His grace. Next week, of course, Pastor Ryan will be back. He'll be talking to you about heart. We all have things that we have a heart for. We have a natural motivator or passion in those areas, and so understanding what those passions are will help you to zero in on why God put you here and what He wants you to do. And then finally, we'll be looking at experiences. Romans chapter 8 makes it very clear that God works everything into the pattern for good in our lives if we just love Him back and commit to this journey of becoming like his son. So good, bad, and ugly, all of those experiences work to mature us, and in that maturing process, it helps us to understand more about our role in the world and why God put us here. So niche or niche, how many say niche? How many say niche? Okay, the niches have it. That's what we're going to call it today is niche. We're going to look at the word uh, charis or charisma gifts, those gifts that God gives us. You understand that God is a giver? You got two amens and a head nod. You understand that God's a giver, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Our God is a giver. In fact, the moment you commit your life to Jesus Christ, he gives you three gifts in that moment. 
The first gift that he gives you is a fresh start. He gives you a clean slate. He gives you the opportunity to become a new creation, Paul said to the church at Corinth. The old has passed away. Everything else becomes new. Our past becomes just that, our past. Some of you are still trying to make your past your present, which means it's defining your future. And God said, why are you doing that? I've forgotten it. It's time for you to learn from the experience and move on into the future that I have for you. Some of you, that's what you needed to hear. God bless you. You can slip on to brunch now if you need to. But for the rest of us, please understand that, that one of God's gifts that he gives you immediately is this fresh start. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The second gift that he gives us then is his spirit to live inside of us, his spirit to live inside of us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When Jesus told his disciples, I'm going, I'm going to go to my Father, I'm going to prepare heaven, I'll come again, they panicked immediately, said, well, we, we, we can't function without you, we depend on you for everything. And Jesus said, don't, don't be stressed about it, because when I get to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and I've been with you, he's going to be in you. And so as you commit your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, and he becomes your comforter and your guide and your teacher. Bring to remembrance those things that you've learned. Today's not a message on the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. We're actually going to do a whole series next year uh, on that subject. But for now, understand that not only do you get a fresh start, but this time you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to help you with this journey. The third gift is where we're going to focus this morning, though, and that is God gives us special gifts to, to use to fulfill His purpose for our lives. So let me put it in context. During the series, we've been talking about two primary passages of Scripture. We've been talking about Psalm 139, 15, 16, that says, some of you remember, some of you can look it up later, but, but it says that while you were in your mother's womb, what did God do? He handed made you. He, he formed you unique. He didn't make a mold and then press the mold and make copy, uh, you know, cookie cutter copies of everybody. He made every one of us unique. He valued us so much that he made us all originals because originals are always more valuable than copies. Can I get an amen? And so, in fact, Romans, uh, uh, Matthew, uh, bleh, I'll get it out in a minute. Psalm 139 says that we are wonderfully complex. I think it's the Living Bible translation that says we are wonderfully complex. Anybody agree with that? Husbands, look at your wives right now and say, you are wonderfully complex. Just go ahead and say, you are wonderfully complex. That's the only time in your life that you're ever going to have permission to say that to your wife. If you use that during a fight and say, Pastor Jim says you are wonderfully complex, do not take my name in vain. I'm not giving you license to use that, okay? But there's something else that happens. We are wonderfully complex, but then we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we, when we're born again, we get a new life in Christ Jesus, and we actually become his masterpiece. So we move from wonderfully complex, which is an amazing thing in itself, to this masterpiece of God. Now look at your wife and say, you are God's masterpiece. You're welcome to use that one as much as you want. In fact, you can kiss if you're licensed. It'd be all right with me if you do that right now. We are created in Christ Jesus to be his masterpiece. 
masterpiece. But hear me, he doesn't make you his masterpiece to be something beautiful to look at. He makes you his masterpiece so that he can use you to accomplish what it is he put you on the planet to do. And then it gets even gooder. Uh, he then takes you and you and you and you, this whole collection of masterpieces, and weaves us all together so that we become a tapestry of his majesty. We become this amazing masterpiece because you got gifts and you got gifts and you got gifts and all God's shown got gifts. And when we merge them together, we become this beautiful thing that God can use for amazing kinds of ways and make a difference in the world in ways that none of us ever could have alone. Is that beautiful or what? That's God's design. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. In Christ we are all one body. Each one is part of that body, and each part belongs to all the other parts. We all have different gifts. Each gift came because of the grace, that's that word chorus, that God gave us. This tapestry of different colors and sizes and ages and gifts and interests and passions and all of them coming together to form a people that can make an eternal difference in their world. In fact, if there's anything that is unique about the bridge that defines who we are as a church, we who make up this church understand that God did not bring this church into existence for we who are already a part of it. He didn't. He brought this church into existence for all of us to come together and then out of the gifts and talents and abilities that he's given us to make a difference in the world. He planted this church here to make a difference here around us and the people that are so desperately in need of Jesus. But it only happens when each of us bring that giftedness together. So, so let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that it's Thanksgiving Day. Imagine that you are a family of seven and each one of you has a different gift. Okay, you got the picture? Everybody got, do your heads like this. You got the picture? We're all sitting around the Thanksgiving table, seven people. We all have our giftedness. And one member of the family put their tea, glass of tea too close to the edge of the table, and it falls off, lands on the floor, smashes tea and ice and glass goes everywhere. Got the picture? Everybody got the picture? Okay. The different gifts begin to show up immediately in that moment. Okay? If your gift is mercy, how are you going to respond? You're going to say, oh, I'm so sorry. That breaks my heart for you. That's what people with the gift of mercy do, right? If your gift is prophecy, what are you going to do? I knew that was going to happen. I could see that was coming, right? If your gift is service, what are you going to do? Let me help you clean that up. You're going to get down and start helping clean up. If your gift is teaching, what are you going to do? You're going to start giving instructions. You know, the reason that glass fell is it was placed too close to the edge of the table. And if you'll be sure to mark out a spot on, by your table that's not so close to the edge in the future, you won't have that problem in the future. That's what teachers do, right? And they'll launch into this lecture kind of thing. If your gift's encouragement, what are you going to do? Oh, man, that could have happened to any of us. You know, I've done that myself before. That's what encouragers do. If your gift is giving, what are you going to do? Giving, what are you going to do? Here, you can have my glasses. You know, I'll get another one. Sorry, right, you can have this one. Or we'll share. You know, we'll, uh, two straws, man. We can do this. Come on. Right? If your gift is administration or leadership, what are you going to do? Joe, you get a mop. Sally, you go get a paper towel. Mary, you go pick up pieces of glass. John, you go get some more tea. Let's go. Let's hop up. Let's get this thing doing, right? Because that's what leaders, administrative kind of people end up doing. So that's the picture of the body of Christ that he's defined for us, each of us, uh, operating within the spiritual gifts that he has 
given us. But let's get back to our individual journey now, okay? So the goal is to connect. The goal is to link together. But let's get back to our own individual journey. What I want to do is just very quickly give you three reasons that you ought to get really intentional about discovering your spiritual gifts and then begin to use them in the body of Christ. Let me just give you three motivators uh, to keep you actively pursuing this idea of not just God as a giver, but God as a giver of spiritual gifts. Reason number one is my gifts point to God's plan for my life. My gifts point to God's plan for my life. Look at the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Now, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them. That says to us that when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, we all get the same presence and power of the Holy Spirit available to us, but we don't all get the same gifts from the Holy Spirit. We all get the same Holy Spirit, but we all get uniquely different gifts, and God is in, at work in us regardless of which gift or mix of gifts you've received in order to make a difference in the world. Let me say this as bluntly as I know how. What that also says to me is that there is no such thing as a non-serving Christian. It's a contradiction in terms. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. The word Christian simply means little Christs. So as you become like Christ, it's impossible for you not to be a servant. Your spiritual gifts help you to figure out where that area of service is going to be, right? Not, no Christian has all of the gifts. I've identified 30 or 31 gifts, either directly or indirectly mentioned in Scripture. I've never met anybody that has all 30 or 31 of them, but all of us have at least one and probably a mix of them. So simply put, if your gift is music, what should you be doing? Hello, it's not a trick question. You ought to be singing. You ought to be playing. You ought to be using. You ought to turn the radio on. You ought to do something that's musical. If your gift is teaching, what should you be doing? You ought to be teaching somebody something somewhere, right? And that might be a bridge group leader or bridge kids or student ministries or, or standing at this stage. What, wherever it is, you ought to be teaching somebody somewhere. If your gift is leadership, what should you be doing? Rallying a group of people around a vision and saying, come on, guys, let's go get this done. That, that's what leaders do. If your gift is hospitality, what should you be doing? Making somebody feel welcome. Making somebody feel at home. I mean, that's what we should be doing. And that sounds so basic, but, but hear me, this is huge. Because I've seen it so many times over the years. The major temptation that so many Christians go through is they start figuring out, okay, I'm supposed to be serving. What do I do? They, we find somebody that we're blessed by or impressed with, and we decide that we're going to be like them. You know, if I could sing like Bobby Ann, of course I'd sing. If I could you know, play like Vern, of course I'd play. If I could preach like Ryan, of course I'd preach. If I could, you know, and so we get this kind of idea that if I could just become a little bit more like that person that we see that's doing things so incredibly well, then maybe God could use us too. But I need you to hear me say, if God wanted carbon copies, he'd have made them. You're not going to stand before God on the final day and give an account for why you weren't more like Ryan. But you will give an account for why you weren't more like you. Because he gave you those gifts on purpose to point you toward that reason that he put you 
on the planet. Sure, it's good to learn from others. By all means, have role models. By all means, honor those who serve around you and above you. But he picked the right mix of gifts and gave them to you so that you could accomplish what he put you on the planet to do. And when you discover what those gifts are, it points you toward his plan for your life. The second reason that we ought to be leaning into this idea of spiritual gifts is that my gifts ultimately reveal my worth. They reveal my worth. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12 again. This time verse 27. All of you form the one body of Christ, and each one is a, what are the words? Separate and necessary part of it. Think about that for a minute. That says there are no big eyes and little U's. There are no important and unimportant people. We're all in this together, and every one of us, while we are separate, unique, we are all necessary. Did you hear me? So let me ask you this. If I decided not to use the gifts that God gave me, would the body of Christ suffer? Please say yes. <laughs> Please say yes. The truth is that if you decide not to use yours, the body of Christ suffers. Regardless of what those gifts are, that's irrelevant. The only question is, will you use what God made you to be? And hear me, guys. God didn't make no junk. He knew what he was doing when he made you the way you are. Hear me. The world will tell you that the road to self-esteem and self-worth is popularity, its possessions, its position. But if that was true, then Olympic athletes wouldn't go into depression after they get the gold. If that was true, rich people would be the happiest people on the planet. The evidence doesn't seem to suggest that's the case. Hear me, guys. The road to self-esteem doesn't come from the talk shows and the celebrities. It comes from the fact that God made us on purpose, with a purpose, and he gave us every gift we need in order to fulfill that purpose. And when you begin to fulfill God's purpose in your life and you begin to do things that are beyond your capacity and you know this is bigger than you are, there's a sense of important self-worth, a healthy pride, if you will, that rises up inside of us that helps us to face whatever it is that the world or Satan would throw at us because he's given you every gift you need to fulfill everything he put you here to do. So if you want to increase your self-worth, the best way to do it is to discover your gifts and begin to use them to serve others. I, I wish for those of you that haven't been down this road, I wish I could describe this for you. I could get a microphone and get a bunch of people around here to do it as well, and we'd all struggle to describe it because I don't know that it's something you could put into words, but there's something that happens when it clicks for you. This is why God put me on the planet, and I'm accomplishing things because of the gifts that he's given me that I never could accomplish in my natural ability. There's something inside of us that rises up that, that is more fulfilling than anything I've ever experienced in my life. My favorite way to illustrate this is, have you ever been to an airport or one of the really big malls and they have these moving sidewalks where you're walking along at your own pace and then you get to the moving sidewalk? If you get on that moving sidewalk and you continue to exert the same amount of effort that you did before you got there, what happens? Do you know what happens? Now you're moving fast, right? You're exerting the same amount of effort, but now you can feel the wind blowing through your hair. Now you are covering ground. And the people that are on the other side that are not on that moving sidewalk, you're just kind of blowing past them and going, <laughs> look at me, dude. I'm flying here. Yes. 
That's something awesome. Then you get to the end of it, and you continue to exert the same amount of effort, and man, I'm going slow now. That's what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit begins to take your natural abilities, multiply them with your spiritual gifts by His power, and you find yourself doing things you never do and accomplishing things you never accomplished, and the result is this sense of self-worth, this healthy sense of who I am because of Jesus rises up inside of you. Some of you know my life and my history, and, I, and I'm not going to point direction at me. I just want you to know, I'm a kid from Bladenboro, North Carolina, little town smaller than this church, and I never aspired to be a mayor of Bladenboro, <laughs> but yet God has given me the privilege to serve him on three continents and do things that I never dreamed possible, not because of who I am, but because of whose I am, and because at 19, I looked at Jesus and I said, you tell me what to do and I will do it. You give me the gifts to do it and I will use them. I don't care where it is, what it costs. That's irrelevant to me. You point, I will follow. How many of your parents, you want to raise self-esteem in your kids? Don't give them participation trophies. Help them to discover their gifts and start serving others. And you can watch their own sense of self-worth, healthy sense of self-esteem begin to rise up as they, at whatever age, begin to make a difference in the world. Before I move on, I need to say it one more way just to be clear in case I haven't made my point. Serving in your area of giftedness is either the ceiling to your own self-worth or the launching pad. It will either limit how far you go in your own sense of self-worth or it will set you up to become everything God made you to be where you can walk through life and face whatever life throws at you because you are a child of the king. And the, the, the pivot point, the switch point from ceiling to launch pad is your willingness to serve within the area of giftedness that God has called you to serve. Which leads me to the third reason that I want you to know before we close, and that is finding your spiritual gifts helps to point to God's plan in your life. It, it reveals uh, the sense of worth, self-worth that comes from serving the Lord. And then ultimately, quite frankly, it, it, my gifts blesses me. Using my gifts blesses me. I've been talking a lot about serving others and helping others and becoming a part of a body that's working together to bless others and make a difference in the world. But at the end of the day, guess who gets blessed the most? It's you. Look at what John, John 15, verses 8 and 11. I like the way the Amplified Bible paraphrases it. My Father is glorified and honored by this. When you bear much fruit and prove yourselves to be my true disciples, I have told you this so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be what? Made full and complete and overflowing. He says, I'm going to be so excited that you have discovered the gifts that I gave you, and you're using them, that I'm going to be full of joy, and I'm going to put my joy in you, and it's going to be so amazing that not only will you be satisfied, not only will you feel complete, but it's going to start overflowing from you onto the people that are around you, and it will become contagious, and other people will find it too. 
which ultimately blesses you all the more because the greatest blessing in life is not getting something, it's giving something and seeing the difference that it makes in people's lives. Now, that may not compute in your mind. I understand. But the reality is there's a lot of research out there that supports it. One book that I had the privilege of seeing <coughs> is, is a book called Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. Dr. Gonzalez actually did research into the lives of people that had been in horrendous circumstances uh, and survived. I mean, talking sailors lost at sea and, uh, uh, and hikers lost in the mountains and that kind of thing. So he studied those people that went into those situations and survived, but he also studied people who went into those situations and didn't survive that circumstance. He found out at the end of the day that helping someone else is the best way to, to ensure your own survival in those circumstances. Here's what he said. Helping somebody else in that situation takes you out of yourself. It helps you to rise above your fears. This is huge. It moves you from victim to rescuer. Something happens in your heart when you stop seeing yourself as a victim of your circumstance and rise above those circumstances to help others, it ceases to be the ceiling in your life. It becomes the launching pad to your own survival of whatever you face in life, which ultimately brings you joy. I had the privilege of knowing Lawrence Bates a few years ago. Lawrence became a part of the church that I served in Virginia. And I was immediately impressed with the man, a great man of integrity, very intelligent, well-educated man. I found out very quickly in our friendship and relationship that he was uh, vice president for operations of a half a billion dollar a year corporation. We came to a place when he'd been to the church, I guess for a year, year and a half or so, that we needed an executive pastor at our church, and Lawrence applied as soon as I saw his name in the list of applicants, I was blown away. I'm thinking, I, yeah, who wouldn't want Lawrence Bates to help lead the administration and organization of our church? But I can't afford a guy like that. I can't pay that guy the kind of money and that, that he's used to making. And, uh, and so, but I called him in for an interview and it became very apparent that he was very interested in the role. And, and I finally said, Lawrence, do, do, you, do you understand how hard I'm going to work you and how little I'm going to pay you? <laughs> and he said, well, I've seen the church budget. I know what you can afford to pay me. And you're still applying? And he said, I've got to do something with my life that makes an eternal difference. And he walked away from, I don't even know, I never have known how much he made, a quarter of a million dollars a year, probably more. To go to work in ministry, making a fraction of that. Why? Because he understood something about life. It ain't about the money at the end of the day. Okay, you still got a mortgage to pay. <laughs> it's a little bit about the money. But there's a point at which it's not about the money at all. Knowing and, and using your charis gifts, your grace gifts, the, the gifts that God gives you simply by his grace points you to God's plan for your life 
It empowers a healthy sense of self-worth. It raises the fulfillment and joy levels in your heart. So let's get real practical, and I'll wrap this up. What are we going to do with that information? Knowing the reasons why we ought to be going after this, what are we going to do practically step by step? Let me give you three steps, and then I'll let you go this morning. Step number one is you've got to discover what your gifts are. You have to make a decision that I'm going to discover my gifts. And let me say quickly, you may have been walking with the Lord for years, and you may have, if I'd asked you before this service, what are your spiritual gifts, you might well have told me, well, I think it's this, this, and this. Can I tell you that I've done this every three to five years over the last 40, none of your business years of doing this kind of stuff? And it surprises me almost every time because at different seasons of your life, God will raise up certain gifts in your heart for that next season that he's leading you into. So don't think because you've done it once that you're done. This is an ongoing process of discovering your spiritual gifts. I still remember the first time I took a spiritual gifts test and the gift of pastor didn't show up at the top of the list. And I panicked because that's what I thought I was called to do. And that's, that's, that's how I make my living. And you know, it's just, everybody calls me Pastor Jim. Of course my top spiritual gift is going to be pastor, but it wasn't. I took the test, and I, I really racked my brain about it. Uh, the number one gift that showed up was the gift of apostle, and my first thought was apostolic. That, Jesus had 12 of those. I mean, you know, and then I began to research it and discover that, that the apostolic gift in modern times is the ability to lead groups of people, to lead leaders, to raise up churches. And God called me to be a church planter, and I've had the privilege now of planting 84 churches and to lead a national organization for planting churches at this stage of my life. So year by year by year, I do these gifts tests again, and I discover new things again as I do. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 simply says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. One translation says the best gifts. Well, what are the best gifts? They're the ones that help point and fulfill what it is he's called you to do. That's what the best gifts are. Here's the bottom line. Paul never suggests, he's the one that writes about this more than anybody else, he never suggests at any point that you can take a take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward the subject that we're on today. He always says we need to be intentional about this. 1 Corinthians 12:1. I don't want you to be ignorant of gifts, he says. So how do I go about doing that? How do I discover my gifts? I think there's two ways. One of them is examine. You, you examine your own Christian life. You start by asking yourself, what have I done up to this point that's produced fruit? What, what have I done that, that I feel fulfilled about? What have that I've done that other people have said, man, that, that, that clicks for you. I can see you doing some things as making a difference in people's lives. You see, God's will is never a bummer. He puts you here to do that. There's going to be some joy and fulfillment in it. So ask yourself simply, what are some things that that are clicking for me as a follower of Christ, and it works. Not always easy. We said it's always easy, but when I do it, there's fruit that comes from it, and then you can also take the spiritual gifts inventory. In fact, we provide one for you. You can go to the website, bridgechurch.cc, niche-profile. Go to the app and click on the niche sermon series, and that'll come up. We'll give you an opportunity for you to go, even this afternoon, pull that up and go through the niche profile test, and it'll help you identify some of the potential gifts that you have. But here's the problem with just using your own thoughts and, your, and, and a profile test, is tests are standardized, and I think I might have mentioned, Ryan probably has mentioned during this series, none of us are standardized, right? We're all unique. 
So there's a second piece to this, and that is you do examine, but then you experiment. You experiment. You give it a try. There must be a hundred ways to serve on Sundays alone at the bridge. And then we haven't even talked about bridge groups or, or outreach opportunities in the local area or in the nation or around the world. There are hundreds of ways that you can serve through this church. You can stop by the sign-up table right there in the lobby where you see the niche sign and, and sign up right now and get involved and start trying some different things out. Let me tell you quickly, if you haven't done that before, when you sign up to serve in this church, you are not becoming an indentured servant for the rest of your life, Right? Our serve teams are not Hotel California where you check in and you can never leave. That's not what we're doing around here. Uh, we, we say you can change ministries without guilt. You try something, doesn't work, okay. Well, then let's help you try something else. What we want for you is for you to find your sweet spot. We want you to find that area that you recognize the gifts of God operating in your life and taking you beyond what you're capable of. And so you... You do some time, spend some time thinking, do a niche, uh, I mean, a, a spiritual gifts inventory, and then sign up and start experimenting with different areas till you find it. Once you've discovered them, what's the second thing you do? You develop them. Just because you've discovered that you have a spiritual gift does not mean that that gift is fully developed. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul's writing to young Pastor Timothy, and he says, do not neglect your spiritual gifts. In other words, don't take them for granted. Here, here's the reality. I know an awful lot of people, and have known them over the years, that know what their spiritual gifts are. They're just choosing not to use them. And they've got all kinds of excuses. I mean reasons. I mean excuses. I mean reasons. You know, I'm too busy. I, 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 I'm afraid I'll fail. I, 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 I'm waiting for somebody to ask. I, I'd be embarrassed to do that. They've got all kinds of reasons many of them are just still in victim mode and haven't made the shift to rescuer mode yet but whatever the reason is using your spiritual gifts is not an option imagine with me coming up on christmas if i spent a lot of time trying to figure out the perfect gift to give kim for Christmas. Kim and I have been married February be 44 years. I know her pretty well, but I still have to struggle every year to say, okay, what's, what's a gift that would really bless her? And I really work hard at that. Um, what would be the perfect gift for her? Imagine that I found it. and I'm so excited to give it to her. And I wrap it up and, and she goes and opens the package on Christmas morning and she looks at it and says, oh yeah, that's nice. And sticks it in a closet and never looks at it again. How am I feeling about now? Pretty sad. What's our relationship like? Pretty strained because she didn't value the gift that I gave her. I cannot fathom wanting God to feel that way about me. Use your gifts. Develop them. Become everything you can be. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, fan into flame the gracious gift of God, that special endowment. Just because you've discovered your gift doesn't mean it's fully developed. You've got to work at it. You've got to learn more about it. You've got to try it. You've got to go after it. It often starts as a spark, and then you have to fan it, fan it into flame. I was young when uh, I've sensed the Lord had given me the gift of 
public speaking and preaching. And so I went to my pastor and, and said, how do you know? And he said, well, let's try it out. And he gave me a Wednesday night, three or four weeks away to preach and, in our little church in Bladenboro. And, and I agreed to take it. And man, I, I worked that thing, buddy. I, I wanted to make sure that I was doing the right thing. And so I, I wrote four sermons because here's what I figured. I, I'm not going to know exactly which topic to cover until I'm in the service. And I want to be in the moment. So I wrote four sermons and I practiced all four sermons for three weeks. I preached them in front of the mirror. I preached them on a tree stump in the woods. I mean, I'm serious. I was ready to go that night. And I walked in. I sat down in the front row. And we started singing in the worship set. And I'm praying. Everybody else is singing. And I'm praying, oh, God, which one of those four do you want me to do tonight? And he settled in my heart which one to do. And I got up. And I preached that sermon. And when I finished it, I went right into the second one. <laughs> And when I finished it, it went right into the third one. <laughs> and when I finished it, when it went right into the fourth one. It took me nine minutes to do all four. <laughs> Takes me nine minutes to say hello now, but you know. On the way out of the church, Miss Macy Carlisle, who was the widow of the founder of our church, said, Brother Jim, you're going to make a fine preacher someday. <laughs> It often starts as a spark, and then you work it, and you learn, and you get role models, and you develop it until you can use it effectively, which is the third part of this journey. You discover your gifts, you develop your gifts, and then you deploy them. You get started. Let me give you three reasons from Scripture, and I'll hush. 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever spiritual gifts he has received to make a lot of money. What? That's not what it says? Each one should use whatever spiritual gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's chorus, grace, in its various forms. Second reason, Ephesians 4.12, God gave those gifts to prepare God's people for serving. To do what? To make the body of Christ stronger. The reason you ought to be using your gifts is not just because God gave them to you for you to serve, but, but also the body of Christ is stronger when you do. If you've ever known anybody that lost their sight, but you talk to them, and what will they tell you about the rest of their body and their abilities? It tends to heighten, doesn't it? And so, you know, they lose their sight, their sense of smell heightens, their sense of touch heightens, their sense of hearing heightens, all that stuff heightens. And it's pretty phenomenal what someone who's lost their sight can, can do. It's pretty amazing. But I guarantee you, if you get them in an honest moment, they will tell you, but you never quite fully make up for that ability to see. The body of Christ will function without you. We will heighten all of us will work a little bit harder to fulfill what God's called us to do if we have to. But we will never reach our potential in making a difference in Goldsboro, Wayne County, North Carolina, and the world until every one of us discovers our gifts, develops our gifts, and deploys our gifts. That's when the body of Christ is functioning. The church, the body becomes stronger. And then finally, here's the bottom line, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 2, let's read it together out loud. One, two, three, go. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Hear me, guys. 
Romans chapter 15 says that every man will give an account of himself to God. There's going to be a day when we're going to be audited by the God of the universe himself. He's such a loving God that he wants us to pass the test, so he tells us what the two questions are in the future. You already know what the two questions are. Anybody interested to know what the two audit test questions are? Yeah, uh, question number one is, what did you do about my son, Jesus? It's as if he's saying, I've created this perfect place called heaven. Why should I let you, an imperfect being, come into my perfect place and mess it up? Please, I beg you, the answer is not, well, you know, I did some good stuff and bad stuff, but I think I did more good stuff than bad stuff. That's not the answer. That won't get you in. The answer is, I put my trust in what your son Jesus did for me on Calvary. In fact, when I told him that I would trust him with that and put my faith in him, he said he would write my name in the book in his blood. Check the book. You'll see my name written there. Cause, not because I was good. Uh -huh. uh, because what he did for me, that's the answer to question one. And that's the question that settles whether you get in. Question number two. What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? What did you do with those abilities that I put in you when you were born and when you committed your life to follow Jesus? What did you do with them? The Bible says if you've been faithful in a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. The first question determines whether you get in. The second question determines what you do for all of eternity while you're there pretty important test, wouldn't you say? Let's make sure that we're not neglecting spiritual gifts while we're here. Let's pray. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Nobody's looking around. Just a private moment with me and you and God. Not going to embarrass you in any way. But I do want to be sure that you understand how important this audit is. If you're here right now, or maybe you're watching online, you're not absolutely sure that you've settled your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Can I beg you not to finish this service until you do? Can I beg you not to leave this room, not to turn your computer off until you do? It really is a simple process, eternally vital, but simple goes something like this. Pray a prayer. Jesus, thank you for making up the difference between who I am and the entry requirements to heaven. I'm trusting you with my eternity. Forgive me. Give me a fresh start today. If you prayed that prayer by the authority of God's word, you got a fresh start. Then for the rest of us, for you that have prayed that prayer and for all of us that have prayed it before, the next question becomes, the next prayer becomes, Lord, would you help me to take a fresh look at my spiritual gifts, the things that you've given me that points to your purpose for me? Would you give me wisdom and direction as I do this search, both through examination and through experimentation? Help me to find my place in the body of Christ, fulfill what you've called me to do. Because at the end of the day, I want you to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys that have been prepared for you. Father, you see us. You know who we are. 
You know that we need you. We depend on you. We want to serve you. Help us to do that in a way that not only brings you glory, but meets the needs of the people around us, prepares us for the eternity that's before us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said.